0: Hey, what's going on? Welcome to Angular Air. I'm your host, Justin Schwarzenberger. And on today's episode, we are gonna be talking Firestore, doing a deep dive into that. Should be pretty cool, looking forward to it. Let's say hi to our panelists, and then we'll say hi to our guests, and then we'll get things rocking. Joining us today, we've got Bonnie. Bonnie, what's going
1: on? How are you doing Night. It's morning over there. It's just, episode. how are you doing?
0: Doing great, doing great. Yeah, so it's night for you; it's midday for me. Our guest, Jeff Welpley. What? Uh, it's a late afternoon for you.
2: Yeah, two o'clock. So
0: yeah, mid afternoon, something like that. Going well. So, how are you doing, Justin? I am doing great. I'm doing great. It's always great to have you back, part of the show uh, in any fashion, whether it's a panelist, a guest, or whatever. So yeah,
2: I, I love to be here, definitely, especially with my two of my favorite people. It's great. Yeah. So, I, I obviously at one point was a host of this show, but uh, definitely pale in comparison to anything Justin has done. Um, so, right now, I'm the CTO and co founder of a company called Get Human. I'm also a Google developer expert. And today, uh, we're going to talk about something that I've been uh, working on for uh, at least the past year, over a year now.
0: Yeah, Firestore, right? I'm excited because. We talked about this a, a while back, and I remember you were hitting some challenges with it and stuff like that. So I'm excited to hear where you're at on it now and, and learn some stuff. Should should be cool.
2: Yeah, definitely. Like, <clears throat> Just to give some history and sort of my motivation for why I reached out and wanted to talk about this, I mean, anytime you're working on something and feel like you've overcome challenges, at least for me, I, like I want to share them with everybody else so that I'm sure that they're going to run into some of the same things that I did. Uh, but in particular, I feel like with the over the past year I've been building a new application and it's the first time that I've been having Firestore as my primary database. And I feel like the thing that we're building on top of it is pretty extensive. Like I think we've been maybe not pushing every limit of Firestore, but I've definitely found a lot of edgy type stuff that uh, presents some interesting uh, use cases and um, things that like both I've, I've talked to the team about and, and some things that have been kind of resolved over time, some things that are not. And so there's really like two things kind of that motivated me to really come on and talk about today. You know, One, like I mentioned was sharing some of my experiences. Hopefully people can uh, use that to um, learn from it if they're using Firestore or other kind of Firebase databases in the future. Uh, but then the other thing is um, a little bit uh, self-serving, I guess. I I, I want to uh, help near the end. I kind of want to talk about some of the things that, like, there's some things that I think are close um, to being there with with this particular technology. That I think when if if people see the value that I do and what's there already, and um, start of echo some of the things that you know I think would make it even better. Um, maybe things that I know the team is kind of looking at and working on, um, I hope is that they'll, it'll happen even faster. So that's another like more subtle goal with all this is to kind of push some things along for the future as well.
0: All right. Get the word out, get some adoption, right? Yeah, and, exactly. Um, yeah. I like it. <laughs> so, uh, maybe we can tell everybody like, what is Firestore? What are we talking yeah. about here? In terms of yeah, that. yeah,
2: so it, it actually has kind of an interesting history and I, I definitely don't know everything as far as history, but I think I've looked into it enough that I probably know a little bit more than than most people. So the, the history is that um, on the Google side, so this is all within the Google Cloud infrastructure, right? And Firebase is part of that infrastructure, you know, Google Cloud or Google bought Firebase at some point. And was that like 10 years ago now, something like that? But at some point, they started integrating them into, you know, the Google Cloud Platform. And Firebase has been focused on web developers and mobile developers. Like that's been the whole thing, like app development, making app development easier. And so the history of Firestore dates back to kind of like pre that even when Firebase was purchased. So when it comes to databases. Google and Google Cloud have a number of offerings. So like, have, have you guys ever used any of the different Google Cloud offerings? Like other than Firebase stuff, like just on the GCP side, like they have like Big Table and... Um,
0: I haven't actually the, used any. I've looked into them. Uh, so I'm familiar with some of them, but I haven't actually played with any yet.
2: Yeah. yeah. So they have a, a couple different ones, but the popular or the biggest NoSQL one in the past was a thing called Datastore that was... It was interesting that they called it NoSQL because underneath the scenes, it actually wasn't. It was built on Bigtable, which is a SQL database. So in essence, even though like the interface and and the way you'd interact with it, you'd be saving like JavaScript objects, JSON objects, it would get like kind of deserialized into an actual SQL format with like columns and everything like that. Um, So it, which uh, I I actually thought was kind of interesting, even because I was using Datastore for a previous project, And it wasn't bad, like it's a very scalable database, very fast and that type of thing. Um, But the fact is that it it wasn't truly NoSQL, and there were some limitations that it had as well. And so Firebase was bought by Google. They had their Firebase real-time database, right? And that um, coming from a different angle was really good for the real-time development and kind of like it would push down data updates. You could subscribe to the database from your front end and get real-time updates. That was like kind of the big deal with the Firebase real-time database back in the day. And so they had that, but it wasn't really good for being a system of record. I don't know if you guys ever tried to do this, but the Firebase real-time database had some limitations just in terms of like um, consistency and like, uh, you know, lack of like transactions, things like that, where it made it really hard to have it for a legit app like as a, as a system of record, like it was good as that kind of like real-time push note um, mechanism, but not as your main system of record. And so on the Firebase side, I think at some point they realized, or I, again, I've spoken to them directly about this, but this is what I've kind of gathered from talking to some people and, and uh, kind of seeing what what's, what's happened over the years. That they kind of knew that they needed to have like another, the next version of the real time database that was like more stable and, and could be treated as like an actual system of record and have some of those features. And so that's when they started, you know, they built, um, you know, Firestore, or that was the kind of intent of building it. And I don't know when uh, this happened, but at some point, they realize in their kind of like back and forth with GCP of like you know there's overlap of offerings in the kind of like firebase suite of products and in the main google cloud suite of products i don't know how familiar you guys are but like there's um some things that are you know, different but there's actually some overlap as well and over the years they've started to like combine so then like in in the actual firebase console you'll see some of the same exact tools that are in the GCP console and i'm sure that'll trend will continue and so at some point they decided that since, you know, they needed another evolution, another complete redo of kind of like their NoSQL database on the GCP side that had the data store, you know, which was really SQL underneath the scenes. Um, and then they needed a new version of the NoSQL database on the Firebase side, that was a really real-time, real-time database and, and didn't have, lack some things um, that were in like Mongo and other NoSQL databases. And so I I don't know the sequence of events when this happened, but at some point they decided they were going to like converge to this one thing Firestore to be the de facto NoSQL database on Google Cloud. And so that's what you see now as far, that's sort of like a quick history as far as I've been able to uh, gather, does that make
0: sense? Yeah, totally, totally.
2: And so one thing to um, keep in mind as far as the intent besides what I just said, was that you know everything with firebase is meant to try to make app development easier like that's their their entire like their north star is thinking what can we do to make things easier for the web developer for the the native or mobile developer right and that in in creating firestore the idea was okay yes the, the real time thing was extremely useful and people like that but how can we make this, not only make it a system of record, but the one thing which I think was super interesting and I think very unique what they've done is make it so that you can use it directly from your front end without any API in between, without any backend. Essentially, you can use Firebase as your backend. And it, it, it's a sort of different view um, with the way they do it than some of the other backend as a service offerings out there. Which um, still have sort of this middleware layer on top of it. They sort of went with the approach of, like, okay, we're just going to make our database with features that allow you to connect to it directly from um, the web and make it. Uh, you know, the biggest trick, to be honest, is the security side of things. Um, like, that's usually where you get caught up in uh, not doing that with other um, offerings. And so they. Solve that through their um, Firebase Auth side of things, which we can. I, I have some stuff that I'll show you later on that. Um, but that was the general gist. And so, like now, it's something where Firestore is powerful enough to be used as the NoSQL database on the Google Cloud side as like a backend that you connect from, you know, your either API or other backend processes, or through you know the Firebase offerings. Mobile developers can connect to it directly from their front end. No other backend needed, and just go and and use it uh, as they please. So I I think that is not only a unique approach, um, but really really powerful.
0: And then, how do uh, the Firebase functions fit into that? Is that kind of like a okay? Hey, if if the connection directly to the database doesn't do everything that you need, you could still augment that with maybe using Firestore or Firebase functions. I don't know if that's the term, right? They're functions, right?
2: Yeah, yeah, functions, yeah, no, that, that's correct term. So there's a couple ways in which functions are, are used. In terms of what we're talking about now, there's kind of like, I, I put two primary things, two primary ways, and then there's some other stuff as well. But the two primary ways are, one thing we do is we utilize, you could theoretically go directly to Firestore and use their security rules to protect um, different data sources for everything, but I found that it does get tricky. And, and I do want to show you the security rules when I start sharing my screen uh, a little bit later, but certain things that you try to do, even though the security rules system that they have set up is very flexible and powerful, it, it can't handle everything. So like when you run into like these cases where you need to um, do something to the back end, but you are worried about exposing it to like the front end directly, um, then yeah, you can, you can create a function where basically you're calling out the function which is more secure and, and then it, it has a higher level of access to your database. So that's, like that, that's one main thing. And then the other one is through triggers, uh, which I use heavily like in our, in our application that we've been building, where, uh, and it's super powerful where you can basically set listeners on different collections, different pieces of data, so that if it's added updated deleted or or whatever you want that then it, it triggers a function to do some piece of work so there's many many different things you can do with that most of the time for us it comes down to like data denormalization and or replication where we have like data copied throughout different collections or to other, another data source altogether and so like that makes your life much easier in order to kind of like wire up those types of things
0: yeah, it makes sense. I think also too, in terms of like maybe some business logic or um, data protection in terms of mm-hmm. valid data that's going in, you know, maybe utilize, unless there's some way to do that just directly through the database config, but I would assume that that's not the case. So maybe you can use like a function in order to handle that validation before it gets stuffed in your database.
2: Yeah, so, so the way that I look at it is I, when I, um, design my schema like design my like what collections i'm using i I actually for uh, for firestore i'm uh, in addition to all the other thing reasons that you would make certain database design decisions with firestore in particular i i think about okay for this particular collection is this something that anybody on the web can read and i won't like have any sort of security issue or is the and can they update it or whatever without any issue or what are the protections like for this particular thing and depending on what the answers are to some of those questions you may or may not need that functions uh layer in order to do either reads and or writes most of the time for us we'll make it so that a uh, certain subset of tables are read-only read only for everybody. Like it, anybody in the world can read them because it's public data and it's not that big of a deal. Um, but for writing, most of the time, we require that at the very least that you're authenticated, which I, uh, again, I'll show you once we show that you have the security rules work, but it can check to make sure with Firebase Auth that you're authenticated and or you have certain privileges. Um, but then if you have to get more sophisticated than that, then you restrict it that, From the the security rules level, it doesn't allow any rights and you have to go through a Firebase function in order to get to the data. Um, So that's basically how you can work. You you can basically set on that scale, you know, the level of uh, whether it's like high security or, you know, low security.
0: Does that make sense? Yep. Yep. Very cool. And you mentioned auth, um, so we're talking about like using this, you know, maybe from like an Angular app directly to get our data, right, and, and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Um, but they also have an auth, auth offering, wow, <laughs> that, right, <laughs> that you could utilize as a single sign-on. Is that correct as well?
2: Yeah, yeah. So Firebase Auth is great. It, it, you can. Most people use it for social auth, but you can set it up to do email auth. I mean, it's very similar. to like auth zero type uh, type of offering. And, but the, but the thing where I think, you know, I've enjoyed it in particular is that it integrates so well to all of the other services. So, I mean, I, I'm starting to talk about some of the ways in which it integrates well with Firestore, integrates well with other stuff. So if you use Firebase Auth and basically, you're not only in your application, you, you have a reference to the user that's currently logged in. In addition, when your front end is calling out directly to firestore firestore sees that auth token and knows who it is that's that's logged in and you can
0: set the security rules based off of that does that make sense yep yeah and you know that's one of the things you mentioned earlier was like this this concept of it's all built around getting people to be able to build apps you know and and work with their apps fairly easily and all these offerings come together to make that a case where we could Spin up an Angular app and get to this functionality pretty quickly. Going through, you know, um, all these other services as well as you know Firestar, what we're, we're talking about, right?
2: Oh, yeah. Which I think that's a
0: compelling angle for you know I'm building my Angular app. How can I get all this other stuff up and running without all the infrastructure that you, that normally has to go with server side or back end sort of thing? Yep, definitely, definitely. Yeah, and I and I do have um, not every
2: database is perfect, right? Like there's that would be great if it was, <laughs> but uh, no. The, the reality is that uh, there's a good and bad thing. So, like when I look at at Firestore, I I have a list of in my own head, you know, what what's like the strengths, what's good and what's bad. And it, I mean, at a higher level, we just mentioned it that it it's it is really good for you know basic you know mobile apps, people that are, you know, don't aren't really back end heavy or whatever. They're they're just want to build something, right? Then it's amazing, amazing. Um, and and more specifically, just to dive into that a little bit more, um, you know, some of the things that are really nice uh, in the way that they do things, like things that I really appreciate, is that the mentality with the way they built the database is that everything that happens has to be fast. Now, and, and I'm not saying that that is the reality, because there are some things that I'll talk about in a second where that, that doesn't work. But at least that is what they're trying to do. Like, they're, they're like... Uh, even if we have to restrict certain things, like that people can't do certain things that, that you could maybe do in Mongo. Like, okay, you, in Mongo, you, now they have a feature where you can like do joins. Let's say between tables and Firebase, like or Firebase the Firebase team with Firestore is like, no, we're not going to allow that because there's just no way to optimize that to the level that we know that it's going to be fast. And, and it, you know, when you do it in Mongo, it pushes the onus on the user to set up the right indexes and and make sure that it's set up in a way that's fast, otherwise it's gonna be slow. With Firestore, they're like, no, no, no. We're gonna restrict you because we want it to be fast by default before you do anything. And so one of the things they do is by default, every single field in your document that's stored is indexed. So there's never a time where, um, you know, with, most, not more. Yeah, actually, I, I think it is most to my knowledge. You do, they set a primary key, but you have to explicitly create the indexes for other fields, right? But for um, FireShore, that's not the case. It's everything now because people can put you know, huge amounts of data in in a um, in any given collection. They have had to put limits on the number of fields that you can add. It's pretty high. I forget what the exact number is, so I've never reached it or anything like that. Um, but <clears throat> that that's done because of the fact that it indexes everything, um, and so that that's great. Uh, you do have to m- manually create composite indexes. So if you are searching on something that with like two criteria, it will essentially. It, so I see this as a positive feature, but it might not sound that way like your query will fail. Like uh, if you try to query something with two, two feet different, like uh, you know, if the create date is greater than yesterday and status equals good or something like that, like that's, that's two criteria, by default, it'll fail. Like you'll get an error because you have to manually go in there and create a, a composite index. And you only have a certain amount of composite indexes that you're allowed. Um, but again, I, I view that as actually a good thing, that, that if it, it fails in that way and it kind of makes it obvious. And the, the failure message actually gives you a link where you actually, it's, uh, it's like two clicks. It's like you click on that and then you say, okay, yes, cre- create it. So they make it easy for you, you know what I mean? But you have to like consciously do it. And then um, the other thing is that you get the the same push uh, notification stuff from the real-time firebase database for free basically so it has all the power of a system like a mongo well not, not all the features of it like a mongo type database but you can use it as your primary system record but then you still get that powerful you know push notification type um feature that is built within in the firebase real-time database, which, you know, I, I don't use for like everything, but I think is is really powerful as well.
0: That was one of the confusing things I had when I looked at it back in the day was this, the name was very close, right? And so mm-hmm. I try to identify what it, and it seemed like. The difference was that Firebase had the real-time kind of just, that's how you interacted with it. And Firestore was this, okay, you don't have to do real time. So it's kind of like the same thing, but without having to do real time, if you don't want to. And then some additional features like you talked about. So
2: Mm
0: -hmm. you're kind of going over it because, yeah, that's confusing. And then what's really confusing, at least, again, I haven't looked at it in a while. But back when I did and reading documentation and stuff, it was like, which one am I trying to, like, getting documentation? It was challenging. Yes, yeah, some, awesome. some of
2: those they do have some like charts up and stuff that make confusing. I mean the, the simple thing is if you're if, if you're building a new app, just use Firestore. I like, think it's as simple as that. If you're on in the firebase or GCP side of things when you're creating an app, just use Firestore.
0: <laughs> yeah, and then you can use that from the back end too, like let's say you wanted to do something with GraphQL or something like that on the server side.
2: Well, okay, okay. So this gets into uh, some of the the the, the considerations that you should have. So I I don't wanna say bad, but things that you need to keep in mind, okay? So when you are more focused on different backend heavy things like, and and that term is like pretty ambiguous, I guess I should get more specific here. Like basically when you're doing a lot of backend data crunching, like, so it isn't just like you're saving like one piece of data item and you're displaying it on a page which is like a very basic like if you're just focused on the front end that's what you're doing but if you have all of these back-end processes that you know loop through huge like g- gigabytes of data and like do different aggregates and um, different translations of data and that type of thing um, and and the, the data itself is is just very big uh, you do run into some, um, it it can be done and and we are doing it right now with Firestore, but like it's, there have been some pain points. The the biggest thing is that, uh, well, a couple couple things. Like one is that Firestore does not allow you to select partial documents. So when you do a, a select, you retrieve some level of documents in a collection. It retrieves the entire document, which is a big problem when you are dealing with a collection that has a huge amount of data. And I mean, OK, you can say that you just the solution, and, and this is what I've heard from some people, is to design things in a way that you kind of break it up to create smaller collections uh, or, or, or collections so that the document doesn't get as big. So each individual document doesn't have as much data. But like. I don't know. The reason why I use NoSQL is so that I can like save the entire thing in like one shot. So like that, that kind of annoys me. And, and if if basically if there were, it shouldn't be that, I I won't say I don't I don't know what kind of technical hurdles are involved with it. But I, what I would say is it would be a huge plus in the, to, on top of what they already have if in the future we were able to just take like, okay, select just the the name, like one field from these thousand documents, which should return in like, like be a a super fast uh, query. But I think that they're running against um, some of the design decisions they made like at a lower level, uh, make that probably more difficult than it seems like it should be, I guess. Um, But that's just like a a thing that should, people should be aware of. Um, And, you know, in terms of doing like bulk operations, like there's, there are, kind of limitations, like certain things that you'd be used to doing in like Mongo like are really tough. So just an example, like in Mongo, you could do update um, all, uh, all documents that have a status active, change them to like non-active or something like that, right? And uh, Mongo set up in such a way that that, that's just like a one line query, or it's like a one line from the command line and it can usually do that pretty quick, you know, assuming that there's an index on, on the whatever the criteria is. That doing that same thing in Firestore can be really difficult, well, not difficult, but it can actually be expensive um, if you have a lot of data because there is you have to um, you can't just do an atomic update like that. They they just don't allow that at all. Like it, it, uh, on a bulk basis, like you you have to actually select everything. You have to actually Get all the documents, which again, if they're big, each like it might be kind of like slow, and then uh, look through each. And then you can do bulk updates, but it's it limits it to 500 at a time. So you would like update 500 in batches. But like if you have like millions of documents, that still takes a long time, right? So there are some things like that where uh, I, I still. It's my understanding that that type of stuff will be improved over time. But like current day, that's like some, some things that make the applications that do heavy data processing uh, makes it uh, a little bit more painful. Like uh, one other thing is, um, you know, backup and restore. They do, they do sort of have this, but um, like when you try to restore uh, a backup, they they don't have the ability to... uh overwrite so you actually have to manually delete everything and and that requires you actually again you can't just say delete everything you have to actually loop through each document and delete each one so there's like little stuff like that because it's because they were weren't designed for these these heavy data processing type things they they were designed for web apps right um so again that that, that's uh take it for what it will it may maybe a lot of uh my pain there is because I'm trying to use it for something it wasn't necessarily designed for. But I, I do think that those things that I just mentioned are fairly. Well, I I don't want to presume how simple they are to, to fix, but like I I I could foresee a world where those types of things are not an issue, like uh, in in the near future, um, depending on what they do,
0: how they how they kind of progress with firestorm in the future. Cool. Yeah, we actually had a question in the chat about what level of application can we use Firestore for? And I think that was like a good summary right there of these things to think about, right, where it fits well or maybe doesn't fit well where you have challenges. So
2: Yeah, yeah, definitely.
0: We had another Um, question about uh, really quick about uh, cost wise benefits of Firestore versus something like MySQL, right? Um, And I guess maybe that's in terms of, well, MySQL, we're, we're having our own installation that we're managing or we're, Hosting that somewhere, and managing that versus mm. Firestore, which is doing—you know—we get all the the database management for us, right? As part of the service, that would be my assumption.
2: Yeah, right? so so I would say, like cost-wise, that's one thing where Firestore is like a huge winner as well because a the Firebase like the, uh, free tier is like really generous. Like most people will not get past the free tier, anyways. But even if you do, there is a uh, for people that are just starting to build a company, there is a startup program where most people I know that um, are again just starting a new company and apply for this are able to get you know enough credits where it's again, you know essentially free for like the first year or something like that. Um, even for bigger startups, you know there, there's stuff that they could do. But even when you get past that, the, the just the basic thing is pretty cheap when you compare it to other um c- comparable things. And I don't have like specific statistics on me, but like, just like my own feel, like this is an, an anecdotal thing, I guess, because like I have, you know, paid for Mongo, I paid for like other, you know, SQL services. And it, I just like, anecdotally, uh, th- this is very reasonably priced. So like, I, I don't see that as an issue at all. Oh, cool. Mm-hmm. So I do have some things to show if you want me to.
0: Yeah, that'd be awesome.
2: Cool, so cool. I, I basically, I, you know, in using Firestore for a while, I have I've a couple of tricks and, and and stuff that we've kind of developed for years that I think are pretty useful that I, I want to um, showcase a little bit and hopefully it'll help you guys as well. So I'm gonna uh, share my screen, let's see. Okay, does everybody see my screen?
0: Yeah, looks good. Okay.
2: So, okay. So the first thing, um, sorry, I'm just looking at my notes. So the first thing I'm going to talk about is triggers. So I mentioned that you have the ability to set up a sort of listener on a change within Firestore so that it triggers a Firebase function to do something. And most of the time I use that for data de or copying data between places. And I want to show you an example of what that's like or the way in which we're doing these. I mean, there's different variations of the way you can do this. Um, but this is this is a little uh, wrapper that I that I created to essentially um, set up a trigger. Uh, the actual thing,
0: um, And Jeff, can you bump the, the zoom up? Oh, yeah, 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 definitely. That'd be cool. Thanks. Wait one second.
2: Uh, isn't it command plus? Command plus, yeah. Why is it not? Sorry about that.
0: Maybe I'll to get to it from the command palette, too. I don't know. Like the command P or, or command shift P, I think, for the command palette. And yeah, and then zoom. I don't know. Maybe zoom in. Zoom in. Oh, you're equal. It looks like equals. Yeah. Oh, that's, uh,
2: yeah, that's
0: weird.
1: Okay. I, Isn't it, it just command plus?
0: Yeah, that's what I thought it was. Yeah, by default, I think it is. But uh... okay. Anyways, uh, cool.
2: does it, is this pretty good? Yeah, yeah that
0: work. Thank you. Great.
2: Okay. Um, so I, I create a little abstraction here. So like, uh, some of this code might be like a little bit obtuse, but <clears throat> you know, essentially, when you run your fu- like, this is our entry point for our functions when we deploy Firebase functions. And I have it set up sort of dynamically so that it's uh, looping through all of the create triggers that we store in the collection. and it like it, the key thing is that you know you essentially are just on exports. whatever you export ends up being a firebase function. And so you can basically do a lot of different things. Um, you can you can also do it on like request too. like so this on request one, a firebase function on request is the thing other thing we talked about, Justin where, when you want to actually use it as like an API, like to get access to the database. But when you're wanted to react something that's happening on Firestore, you, you use uh, the functions.firestore.document and then either on create or on update or whatever, and then whatever the trigger is, right? And so um, to give an example, so I have it basically set up that whenever there's an update on this, I have a brand collection, And whenever there's update on it, it basically runs this code. And um, you get a snapshot of whatever the data was before and after Um, it made the change, which is really useful, and some other context information. And so in this case, particular case, when the brand collection gets updated, I'm essentially updating a whole bunch of other tables with pieces of that data um, that are used in those other in like kind of a
0: denormalized um,
2: format. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, yeah, and what's the, I I got to touch on something that's really exciting that I'm getting excited about. Right, is the fact that like here you are, you're creating a TypeScript file, right? So you're writing in TypeScript, you're writing some JavaScript TypeScript, right, to do mm-hmm. this function logic that then is going to be run in in the Firebase functions to do this every time your data changes, right? So mm-hmm. and what I think is cool is that we're in this ecosystem, right? Where we're writing our app in TypeScript, that sort of thing, and it's kind of we can build this logic here in a pretty straightforward way, it's pretty
2: cool. Yep, yeah. No, I I love, I mean, TypeScript's the best (laughs) for sure. Um, Oh, one thing to worry about though, like so uh, you can put yourself into loops here. So like this this gets triggered when the brand gets updated. If I happen to do this, Um, with whatever like like essentially if I update the brand on a brand update trigger like I can create an endless loop which basically like brings down the entire database um, so don't do that uh, I, I I mentioned something to the team about um, whether there's a way for them to kind of somehow on their side to kind of like capture that there's this um, recursion loop that inadvertently got created uh, but the response was just like, just like I said, just don't do that. <laughs> so, uh, so just something to be mindful for. And then, um, <clears throat> sorry. Okay, serialization. Uh, so, a couple things to be aware of. So, I have a, um, I create a wrapper around the Firestore API. Uh, so, I, I do use like Fire off, uh, or sorry. Um, uh, the the Angular Fire, Angular Fire, that's what I was thinking about. So Angular Fire on the front end, and then the different, there's various libraries, Firestore libraries on the back end. Um, But I create my own wrapper on top of that for a couple of reasons. So one of them, uh, one of them is this. So when we add data, so I, I have this kind of like just function that whenever I'm creating a new, Uh, document that it runs through this because I mean I'm I'm adding some stuff like create data and that type of thing but actually a really important part is this uh, remove empty values so one I mean I would think that it's not too hard for them to solve this on their side but at least right now if you try to assign an undefined value and send that into Firestore it'll actually send an error so I do I do have to um, basically look through for any undefined values just to like make sure that it doesn't barf and remove those those fields from the object that's being created or updated. Uh, so that, that's just like one small thing. And then the other thing, um, sorry. Yeah, here we go. So when we get a snapshot, um, it, it is in a certain format that's not a simple JSON object. So I, I just have like a, a thing that I, it, you know, one of the things, just as an example, is that for some reason um, they made the decision to not put the ID of the document on the actual data. Uh, it's like in a different part of the like. So you have the snapshot object, which has the ID, but which is separate from it, the data. They're two separate things. But just in the way that like I've built everything, the ID is always on the the data, and probably what most people are used to. So I, I just kind of combine those. And then the other thing is. Um, when you're you're taking the snapshot, dates are um, serialized into strings, um, and so I go through and actually um, turn them into actual JavaScript date objects uh, so that they can be used more easily. So, I mean, there's other ways to deal with this, but I, I found that by creating these kind of wrappers around your what you're sending to Firestore and back, you can kind of smooth out some of these these edge edges. Uh, and then the next thing was, oh, atomic updates. So there is no way to just say, um, for example, update update this collection um, this field where the date is greater than something or the other. Like, like you, it, there's no way to do that specifically. You have to up, do updates on one specific document. So in order to do atomic updates, You have to do something like this. Um, So what this is doing is, um, well, this is not for updates, but it's the same idea. This is for creating. I I don't want to. I want to create the document only if it doesn't already exist. And so, uh, basically, they have a a transaction. Like you have to like manually create uh, a transaction. And so when you do this. <clears throat> Firestore will make sure that this occurs atomically and actually underneath the scenes kind of interestingly um, I believe the way they do it is that uh, If they they like watch for if there's other updates and if there is then it kind of like rolls it back something along those lines So it doesn't actually lock anything. So like where's other databases when they do like an atomic update they'll actually lock it like periodically and when you lock something you're essentially preventing other updates from occurring which essentially can slow down the database under heavy load, but instead what they're doing is they're not locking the database, they're just looking for other updates at the same time and then erroring out this particular transaction and rolling it back if that's the case. And so um, in this case, you know, I, I do, I'm doing a query to see if that already exists um, and only if it doesn't already exist, only then am I actually uh, creating it down here, if that makes sense. And then uh, another thing. So I, I, I'm just jumping around between a couple like interesting things. Definitely let me know if you guys have questions or, or uh, one thing is, is
0: uh, requires more insight. Um, Seeing that uh, things I think about in terms of. Uh, all these solutions like the transaction and the rollback and things like that you're walking you're talking about. Like I feel like there's been a, a long time where it was this whole that's the decision making between like NoSQL and SQL and deciding what database you want to go with and what are your needs and these sort of things that you run into. And then I, I felt there's a long period where people were trying to solve, you know, like go with NoSQL, but solve these other things, right? And it's mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. that's what's going on here. But now we we have these ways to solve it and kind of live in both of those worlds and get what we want to do, right? But yeah. the Power of, of each. So that's pretty cool.
2: That's a really, really good way to frame it because obviously when you're building something for real, you can't switch databases at whim for every like little problem you run into. You have to figure out solutions. And these are my like little mini solutions for all these like little things that
0: we came across for this, right? <laughs> um, well, I want to say one more thing too. The fact go back to the fact that we're using TypeScript here and you've got this code in there, right? Like I'm just immediately thinking some of these things that you're doing for the data normalization and stuff. Well, because that's in TypeScript and you're working the front end in TypeScript, like you can share that code, right? So if you need mm-hmm. to do that same thing on both sides, now it's real easy because you're working with a, a database solution that uses JavaScript and that sort of thing. So that's also a benefit.
2: Yeah, definitely. We we have um so this is like our, one of our model files where we, we define the TypeScript interfaces that essentially this is how it's stored in the database for all purposes. And this is shared between the back end and the front end and is used to kind of like make sure everybody has the same format for this stuff. So yeah, it's really useful. Um, one thing, so when you're updating a, a set of docs, I said that it can be, it's not totally straightforward and you have have to, there's a limit of 500 documents you can update at a time. So I wanted to, like for this and a lot of things, I I wanted to make sure that all the different quirky edge casey stuff for Firestore, I didn't want to push down to the front end or push down to like all my code throughout the entire code base. So that's why this wrapper helps smooth that over. Like I, in this particular case, <clears throat> I, I'm allowing the front end to just say, update all of these docs. And it's only underneath the scenes, like uh, uh, this, this wrapper function is doing all the hard work where it's actually breaking up. Like, first of all, it's getting, okay, these are all the docs that have to be updated, right? And it's breaking it up into like batches of 500 and then actually um, using the, the Firestore batch um, mechanism to essentially do 500 updates at a time. Um, but that's like from the front end code perspective, you don't even know that this is going on. You're just saying, just update all these docs.
0: You know what I'm saying? Quick question on that. Uh, have you run into any scenarios of, like the transaction and something failing and having to roll back during that batch? How does that work? Yeah.
2: yeah. With this particular one, it is a problem because I, I couldn't wrap a transaction around all of this. There are limitations with the transaction. Um, and one of them is like, I think there's, it's only one update allowed per transaction. So you could do like multiple queries, but you, you can only do one update. Um, so you know, that's a risk with it. The way, my implementation of this, that is a risk. And I don't necessarily know what the solution is to say, like essentially what you're asking is you wanna be able to do like an atomic update across many documents. And to my knowledge, I, I don't think there's a way to do that in Firestore. So, um, and, and I mean, like that that's the thing is that sometimes, you know, it's not that big of a deal if, if your data gets like out of sync or whatever. And I, I think I just made that determination with some of the stuff we're working on. But if it, it, for some apps, it's like, no, there's just like no possible way we can do that. Um, and if that's, you're in that camp, then yeah, we can use Hardstore. Um, And then another thing I was gonna show is, Uh, Oh, yeah, yeah, right. So when we're doing queries, too, in a similar way, we're wrapping the params. So, like, Firestore has its own syntax for how you do queries, and just with the way that um, I'm used to things, I I didn't want to necessarily use that. So just as an example, um, if we go down to... Like they do it, uh, it's essentially a chaining of like select order by, like there's uh, functions that that you chain together in order to do the entire query. But I wanted to essentially have my own like JSON um, for actually doing that, Uh, like a format in TypeScript that defines that. So I, I basically created this where this defines Essentially, all the stuff that you can do in a, in a query, but just in a JSON format, uh, which is not necessarily what they kind of like accept into the API. But then I have um, this function that basically translates that JSON format into this function chained um, API of you know selecting, ordering, limiting, you know uh, the different uh, where clauses and that type of thing. And it does a couple other things as well. But it, it's just really useful to have this kind of wrapper function for that as well.
0: So you've essentially made your own DSL for communicating with that, right? In, in a layer.
2: Yeah, 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 exactly. So and it just, it's funny, you speak to the last point we brought up as well. Like besides overcoming things that seem like obstacles, I also, there, there's always going to be in any, Technology or API, certain things that you don't like—it's just more of a personal preference that you don't like. Like uh, like the API that you you like for the most part, but then there's like these other little things. But whatever, just create your own wrapper on top of that, and then you don't have to worry about it. Um, So I—it always seems weird to me that people that complain about those kind of like more like presentational type stuff that can be you know is, is almost trivial to overcome. So. And then the last thing I, I, I got to share out a different part of the screen. Um, so let me stop sharing, and I'm gonna um, switch to my entire. Here we go. Share. Okay. Uh, can you see my? Can you see my um, console right now?
0: Yeah. Okay. is a little small, but we can see it. Oh All yeah. While you do that, I
1: want to say hi. I want to say hi to Alex Akreshko. From the firebase team who's uh oh, watching they joined.
2: The chat. great hopefully they don't skewer me afterwards but uh welcome okay so um just don't mess up jeff yeah no seriously um the, i wanted <laughs> to point out the thing i mentioned earlier about indexes so one thing is like, this. Is, these are some examples of composite indexes. So like I mentioned, you have to like create your own, like, but the single field indexes are automatically created for every field, um, but you need to add your own um, composite one. So I have a couple here as examples, but then also um, there's one other interesting thing. I mentioned that there's a limit for the number of fields that can be indexed um, because I mean, since they are indexing everything, I mean, you could theoretically, put like a gazillion, well a gazillion is not a real number, but like you can put a large number of different fields in one document uh, and that would require a ton of overhead. Oh, and actually it's not even like, um, if you think about it in the same collection, for different documents in the same collection, they don't have to have all the same fields, right? But every different field you have is gonna have a different index like created, which has overhead uh, from the, the database side of things. And so that's why they have those limitations. So what you can do or what you should do is when you have a field that you know, um, you're never gonna query on and has like a lot of variation in it, you should basically add it as an exemption. So here I basically exempted this outputs.data because outputs.data is basically, it can be almost anything. Like it's, um, it's stuff that we're capturing from like a scrape, We're part of this system without going into too many details. We're like scraping the web for different um, data in a particular area. And this is kind of like the raw output of it. And I have no control over like what some of those fields are. And so it would be crazy to index this because it would probably over time blow our index limit. And so I just set uh, add as an exemption that it, it like it's just data that I want there that I can retrieve, but I, but it's not indexed and I cannot query it. Like I, I can't use it in a like where clause of my query. Does that make sense? Yep. Yeah. Um,
0: and then I, I, the last thing I want to show is well, the data. One real, one real quick question I thought about. So then, if you have that uh, exemption what happens if you query that and it, do you get a nice little error that says yeah, yeah, hey. Yeah, you get an
2: error. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, definitely.
0: Um, and then
2: the last thing I want to show, but for some reason it that I got to refresh here, is for database rules. And, and in particular, I just want to showcase the thing I mentioned earlier about using um, the Firebase Auth stuff with your rules. So like this is how some of the rules look, and th- this is like one of the simplistic ones, right, that I'm highlighting where like this audit table, it's basically saying that no one can read or write it. And, and I, to be clear, w- it's not truly that no one can read or write it. It's just like no um, nobody outside of the privileged. Uh, you, from the API side, it's using um, credentials that bypass this. So it actually is able to read and write to it like when you're using a, like a Firebase function or your own API through the um, Google um, I am uh, security uh, roles. But when you have like an actual web user who's connecting directly to your database, that this is more for that. And it's saying like, okay, those web users cannot read at all and cannot write at all to this table. Now, this one, this brand table for reading, they can they can read it if they're an admin. So like you can do like these functions and one thing I got tripped on um, is I, I keep on falling back into thinking that this is JavaScript, but it's actually not. There's like, a I don't even know if it's an actual true language or just their own kind of syntax, but it kind of looks javascript e, but it's not really. So you just have to be careful when you, you write out this stuff. But um, th- in this particular example, I'm basically looking at the auth token. So th- this will only exist if you use Firebase Auth and even validated, you you've kind of logged in. And for us, we actually store in as part of the Firebase Auth process, we're storing an extra value of is admin. Or you and this part is custom. So like when you're setting up your Firebase Auth, you can create some other field or whatever. Um, but for us we try to make it simple. So we just do is admin and then I can check that here and, and it confirms that only admins can read from this table. Um, And then for other tables, it's read for everyone. So I allow, like for product line, this is like a public table. So I just allow, okay, you know, whatever, whoever can read from this, that's fine. Um, And so this is the the way in which you can connect your, this is the the reason why you're allowed to connect your front end directly to the database.
0: Cool. And it seems like there's a, you know, a nice little added benefit if you're using Firebase off because it ties nicely into that too, right? Yes, definitely.
2: Yep. So that that's uh, I, I obviously have like a, a lot more stuff, uh, but th- those are the big ones. And definitely, if anybody has any questions for me, definitely ping me on Twitter, at Jeff Welpley, um, or email or here or whatever, and I'll, I'll definitely get back to you. It's welcome
1: awesome. with an H. W H E L P. There's two L's actually. W-H-E-L-P-L-E-Y. Jeff Welby.
2: That's right. You got to spell it right
1: though if you're going to find
2: him on Twitter. Uh, Yeah, I don't know who that person is with only one L, but he's definitely not me.
0: Awesome. Awesome. All right. Well, uh, shall we do some quick picks and then wrap it up? Anybody have any picks? Jeff, you you go last. So Bonnie and I first and then we, you know, Give, give the guests the love. Sorry, Bonnie, so. you got six.
1: i um, I'm very excited because I'm going to Angular Connect next week. Uh, and that's so everybody's descending on London uh, pretty soon. Is that next week? Yeah, next week. Next week. Yay! So uh, if you're in London uh, for Angular Connect, come and find me and say hello.
0: Awesome. Uh, Well, I'm not going to be there, so can you say hello to everybody while you're there from me? Yes. Yes, I would. Awesome. All right. I got one pick at a request of Mike Brocky, who's not here today, but he asked me to pick this pick. And him and I just started a stream that we're doing, and we did our first one last night on Twitch, and it's called NGBS.
1: Oh, I watched
0: that. So
1: BS did not stand for what I thought it stood for. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, so it's Rocco Shorty. And uh we just we're gonna hack on Angular stuff and, and just have a good time. We're gonna dive into different things. And so we did our first episode last night, which was or not episode but stream. And it was uh we're getting all things set up, so we hung out and did that. And then we kind of dove into the uh add injectable decorator and provided in root and kind of dug in and, and did some examples to see actually what's going on and, and where it's actually creating a new one and that sort of thing. So it was really fun and we're looking forward to doing some more. So He wanted me to plug it, so I'm plugging it. (laughs) So there you go. All right, Jeff, what what picks do you got? It's very cool.
2: Um, So I was all set to have an awesome pick. You basically, the the thing that I've been building for this past year using Firestore um, that we are about to launch and sort of yesterday or the day before, something came up that you know, basically is gonna require us to do a small rebrand of, of one part of the thing that we're working on. So basically, um, I, I, I'm sort of like picking uh, for the future or something that uh, follow me on Twitter and within the next week, uh, I believe once we sort this out, we will be launching something new and cool that, Everyone should check out. And I guess probably I, I am scheduled for I, I think a month out, Justin, for another show. So I I, I think uh, at that time I'll, I'll do the real plug.
0: All right. All right. Well, let us know too. We'll we'll send it out through Angular Air as well to, to get you some visibility on that. Sure. Very cool. Very cool. Looking forward to right. it. Keeping us in suspense. Can't yes. wait. And <laughs> then you mentioned the other episode. i what that's on amp, I think, right? Yeah, yeah, so I'm
2: looking forward to that. Another thing that I've been doing a ton of work on and I'm really excited about, I'm actually doing a talk on AMP at one uh, conference in the late fall. So yeah, i would be excited to talk to you guys here about it in a month's
0: time. In a month, that'll be cool. Always good to to have you on and have you back. back. was that?
1: Does, Does this surprise have anything to do with Maddie?
2: Uh, no, no, no.
1: What's Although, uh, just as
2: an aside, you yeah, know, it's something else. But, but uh very funny thing, you know, Maddie, uh, just a, qu- a very quick, quick end of uh, Maddie the other day, my, my nine-year-old daughter uh, started bugging us about an iPhone. Like, She wanted an iPhone. One of her friends got an iPhone. <laughs> so I said, you know, look, the moment that you publish your own app through the App Store, I will give you an iPhone. I mean, she is um, an international
1: I, conference
2: speaker, Dad. Yeah, that's, well, that's true. But I, I will tell you that since I told her that, she has been obsessed. She's been watching like videos of like building like uh, iOS apps. She's been like trying all these different things. Like, and and some of them are like off in like weird directions. Where I'm like, okay, you're like way off. But like, it's amazing. Like, she has like got the fire under her. Um, so we'll we'll see where that goes. <laughs>
1: The littlest Deb Junior.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Very she's gonna awesome. give
1: Samantha a run for her money.
2: Yeah.
0: Nice, nice.
1: Well, tell her that we are we are uh, uh, asking about her and that we said hello. Definitely, I will. Well, Angie too, and Carolyn too. Yeah. Just tell them all. Bonnie said oh. hi. Oh. And to come visit. Tell them I said hi and come visit.
2: I, I will definitely. We will soon.
0: Nice. All right, Jeff. Well, it's always a pleasure to have you on. Thanks a ton for sharing your time and the content. Really appreciate it. And as you know, if you don't know, you welcome back any that you want. So just give me a heads up, let me know, come on whenever you want. But I uh, really appreciate it. Thank you.
2: Thank you. I appreciate it.
1: Have a good one. All right. That's a See wrap. Guys. See everyone.